Brady. This is Club Hell. Thanks for coming, kids. Hey, Hello. This is Notes from the Back Row. A cinema podcast of commentary, questions, answers, dreams, fears, joy rides, hell rides, and so much more. So strap in for a veritable cinematic Coney Island of the mind. Welcome to another episode of Notes from the Back Row, a magazine-like podcast subscription for your podcatcher. You'll get lots of different types of episodes in your feed. Right now, Carlo and I, who's here. Hello. Oh, okay. Sorry. That was my cue. Yeah. Uh, We have been doing (laughs) Hoser Horror episodes, and what we're doing is talking about Canadian horror movies and doing double features. We've had some guests. We had an interview with Paul Krupp of CanucksPlotation.com. Um, it's a lot of fun, and so that's one of the things you get in your feed when you subscribe to Notes from the Back Row. So go to back-row.com, check out the podcast section of the website, lots of other things there as well in terms of essays and articles. It's a good time. Usually we do double features, and so we both watch two movies in preparation for the podcast. But this time you got a little cocky. <laughs> Well, okay. So today's episode (laughs) is going to be about Christmassy kind of winter horror movies. We're not doing Black Christmas, which is what Hmm. you might think we would do. But instead, we picked two kind of winter based slasher movies from Canada. And I watched those movies. But also, (laughs) we had a inside joke back and forth because uh, at a certain point, you watched this movie and and said it was so so bad and yeah absolutely i've been kind of joking that i'm gonna watch it because like i can't not watch it with a name like night of the dribbler from 1990. i wonder how this is going to affect the turnout at tonight's game you know what the game is you know the rules can't travel with the ball got to dribble like a fool be dribbling in the driveway dribbling at school dribble on the court got dribble in school dribble for the girls because they make us drool dribble in our shorts because we love this I mean, at one point, you have to find out for yourself. I get it. I get Mm -hmm. that part of it. But also, I warn you. (laughs) Yes. And so this is a a basketball-based slasher with a murderer who's wearing a kind of basketball mask. Yeah, I guess. But it's it's not just a mask. It's like it's a basketball. Like it's Mm -hmm. all filled out and and it has this creepy grin on it. And that's a poster. So you think like... Man, with a poster like that, something called Night of the Dribbler. Yeah. There's got to be some fun to be had there. Yeah, and from the director of Zombie Nightmare, previously covered on our show. Check out that episode. And so last night, I couldn't figure out what to watch. And so I put on Night of the Dribbler. For a brief moment, about 10 or 15 minutes, you know, this movie is goofy. It's just kind of jokes, jokes, jokes flying at you that they don't make any sense. 
some of the jokes. <laughs> they do this joke throughout the entire movie where a character says, hey, coach, I'd like to have a word with you. Yeah. And then the coach says, how about poodle or whatever? You know, that's a word. Yes, yes. But that okay. joke doesn't work unless you just say, I'd like to have a word. When you say, <laughs> I'd like to have a word with you, yeah. then then you're just asking to talk. Yeah, There's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's like, and I was like, they have... This joke doesn't even work grammatically <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the way that you are executing it. Yeah. But so I was kind of like, oh, I love the, how dumb this is. It's amazing and it's mm. so unfunny. It's hilarious. And then about 45 minutes into the movie, I was just, oh my God, I was just, you know, <laughs> it's so rough. I, I was reaching for the, the power button. Yeah. Did, did you make it true? Did you finish it? Well, I watched about 50 to 60 minutes of At it. At least I finished it. It's <laughs> And, and then I kind of skipped through every scene until, like, I saw every scene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I did that thing where it was like, okay, what's the scene? Okay, he's talking to her. Okay, yeah, that's yeah, a murder yeah. scene. I'm going to watch that. Okay, so, I I've mean, I watched that. it. I watched it. I've done that. <laughs> I've done that. I get it. I get it. Yeah. And I actually, now that I think about it, I may have done that as well for this movie, but it's been a while. It's been yeah. like, I don't know, like more than a year ago since I watched it. And I don't remember, like you say at the start, it's like fine in a goofy way. It's just super, super stupid, what makes it enjoyable on some level. I I don't really remember that. I may have had that same opinion Mm -hmm. getting into it, but then this movie just wears you out. Yeah, it, it and the jokes are so not funny and they eventually start just dragging on yeah. and the the murder scenes are kind of kind of funny and, and stupid, but you know, like there's the one of the early murder scenes is like a guy goes to do a dunk and there's like razors on the on the thing and it cuts yeah. his hands off and I was like that's kind of entertaining hmm. but they're few and far between. Yeah, yeah, that's also what I remembered and the, like the dribbler itself yeah doesn't show up a lot, does no, it? No. No, no, that's what I thought. So you keep waiting for this goofy basketball hack killer to show up. Yeah. And <laughs> it barely happens. So Yeah. That's more false advertisement from the from the cover it's mostly a vehicle for fred travelina who is known as like somebody who worked with roger corman he was in one of the black scorpion movies he did a bunch of like these late night shows doing impressions and comedy and Mm. and that's kind of why he throughout this movie is doing impressions and comedy (laughs) yeah i I hated him in this movie yeah (laughs) just like every isn't he like an announcer or something yeah he plays three roles yeah 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 he's the coach and the announcer and uh somebody else oh yeah yeah, okay it's especially like the announcer parts that i remember like vividly hating (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's just him doing his shtick like to the camera just bad yucks nonstop. good bad yucks for about five to ten minutes and then you will yeah you will not want to continue to watch this see now i'm glad that you watched it because I didn't have to rewatch it for a podcast episode for another Hoser Horror episode, but we've covered <laughs> it now. We've yeah, said that's all there why is you to wanted say about to talk it. about it. <laughs> so we're done with Night of the yeah. Dribbler. <laughs> we're done. It was shot in Montreal, if you need to know that. And <laughs> and it was uh, technically, it was a lost film until Code Red oh, put it, it out on DVD. It was not available, apparently, very easily or readily until DVD. So a good thing that Code Red got that out into the world. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, good thing, good thing. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So from Night of the Dribbler, we go back in time to the 80s. So if you're listening to this, you know our topic is Ghost Keeper and Curtains. They are both films that take place in the winter. But yeah, so Ghost Keeper... 
This is a film from 1981, stars Reva Spire, Murray Ord, Sherry McFadden, and more, and is directed by Jim Makachuk. Tagline is, who next becomes the keeper of the beast that lives on human flesh? And the synopsis... So, sorry? <laughs> sorry? What was that? Is that English? <laughs> and the synopsis is a group of three friends on a snowmobiling trip find themselves stranded at an abandoned lodge isolated in the mountains. They discover an old woman resides in the hotel along with an evil entity she is keeping in the basement. Um, this film was financed in Calgary for about $650,000, um, and it was filmed in Alberta. It was filmed in Banff National Park and Lake Louise, um, both in Alberta, Canada. And so it was produced by Badland Pictures, and it was released theatrically um, in North America by American Cinema Marketing. <laughs> cool, cool. Yes. So I'd seen this film before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I, you I had watched not. it basically on your recommendation-ish, mm-hmm. but we also just needed wintry movies. And yeah. I remembered uh, I wanted to watch it last year, but I hadn't gotten to it. So I was like, okay, this Christmas season-ish, I'm going to watch it. And then yeah. we just decided on um, doing it for Hose of Horror. Totally. Um, and my first viewing of this was another one kind of like, you know, I, I think I did it last year or the year before. And it was that same mm. kind of thing. Like, I want a wintry horror movie. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to technically be based around Christmas. But it's, if it's in the sort of, you know, the winter season, I'm going to go with it. And uh, it really worked for me the first time I watched it. And was very surprised because it's one of those movies where like you go online and everyone is just like sucks, boring, terrible, garbage. <laughs> um, and, you know, maybe they're right. <laughs> but I really like this movie. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to argue against people who hate it or people like yourself who are into it. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was it, it had something going on. Like to me, it felt like a very good background movie. Mm hmm during this season like it's extreme extremely snowy yeah like impossible to move around in amounts of snow (laughs) just insane uh very snowed in these people yeah but as for a movie where i was trying to get a little bit involved in the plot or the characters that wasn't happening for me and i'm I'm like uh it's it's a vibe movie it's not a story movie or anything i mean horror movies are rarely really about the story like it's always a bit about a vibe and this is just one of those like you know minimal canadian horror movies yeah a little bit like you know death ship as well you can really feel the lack of resources and the fact that they ran out of money half halfway through this one <laughs> yeah it, it, it's very like we we were able to get the hotel and this is such a great location mm-hmm. and we wrote a movie very quickly i think in the interview yeah. i read he said he wrote it in like two weeks or something yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a long time for this movie <laughs> yeah he's like i think it shows probably um <laughs> but uh yeah it, it's 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 incredibly wintry and i think part of mm-hmm. why i love it is because you know we do see a lot of movies that take place in winter but rarely do you get to see this kind of you know waist deep 
snow mm-hmm. winter and and i think that adds to it to to me because you you do get this uh this feeling that if they don't have these snowmobiles they can't go anywhere you know you can't walk in this kind of snow yeah and and their snowmobiles break down and they're stuck so and you're right it is a vibe movie it's it's there's just something about it that when i put it on it grabs me mm-hmm. um but it also is just people walking around in the snow and a hotel <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's pretty uneventful. It's like one of those movies that feels more like a shot on video movie, even though it isn't. Mm-hmm. In that sense, it has this very, like, almost a little bit murder drony, but then nothing's happening, people walking around. Um, and also, like I mentioned, the, la- the fact that they ran out of money and that also starts showing because, like, the second half of the movie is very 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 aimless even more so like yeah. the first half I, I was putting up with it but then the second half i'm like okay this is this isn't really going anywhere anymore because they actually tease some pretty interesting stuff or i was kind of looking forward to it like they uh i think in the intro in the opening there's like talk of wendigos yeah fun fact there are no wendigos in this movie uh, un- unless I'm mis- uh, misunderstanding what a Wendigo is, <laughs> because <laughs> there is a guy with like pastrami on his face in the basement. And I'm like, oh, is is that the Wendigo? I don't know. Is it like interpretable what what a Wendigo looks like? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they had planned that there was going to be a lot for the creature, but they just didn't have the money, like you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's too bad. But yeah, it was definitely. Um, inspired by wendigo mm-hmm. um for sure because yeah they have like a quote at the beginning of the movie about it yeah 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 they tease some like folklore mythical stuff but it, it doesn't ever get there and i guess if you know this beforehand it's less of a disappointment if that doesn't happen but <laughs> i was kind of expecting something at a certain point and it just wasn't happening and i'm like yeah. oh, okay I'm, I'm getting a little snoozy here but yeah, I, I do think that that is a common theme between Curtains and Ghostkeeper, which is that I, th- I think they're both movies that are presenting as one thing, but are executing as slightly different. Like Ghostkeeper, the, the cover is presenting as yeah. there's like a skull on the cover and a, and a monstery kind of face and, and it's talking about like the beast or whatever. And then you watch it and it is a very slow burn. Yeah, it almost becomes more like a psychological uh, cabin fevery thing. Yeah, with like a final girl kind of element to the second half. Mm-hmm. And it kind of ends interestingly and... It, it's just yeah it's one of those things i just don't know what it is about the movie i just like the vibe <laughs> yeah yeah no i get it some movies just have this like a vibe is very hard to explain to other people why you like that certain vibe it just it clicks or it doesn't and that's all there is to it really yeah um one thing i was wondering though like because this movie um uh, talks about wendigos and kind of teases that and i looked it up and apparently wendigos are like a canadian mythical creature yeah of um algonquin and that had me kind of wondering what other creatures are like native to canada so to speak even though they're not real obviously but because they're mythical but yeah i think bigfoot is i just loaded up a page now that has okay. some, some legendary creatures but they're all names that i'm not familiar with like Cadborosaurus and uh, fur-bearing trout. <laughs> Holy shit, that sounds yeah. 
That sounds good. Make movies yeah. of those. <laughs> I go, I go Pogo from Lake Simcoe, Ontario, and the Partridge Creek Monster. And good old Psycho Pike. <laughs> Classic uh, mythical creature. Yeah, so Wendigo is, is um, from the folklore of Native American Algonquin mm-hmm. tribes. Um, and I, I know that in the interview I read with Jim, he, he had said that he was trying to write more of a story where he was... He had like a Native American actor in mind that he wanted to play a oh. role in this movie, but then it became less of a Wendigo movie. So, and his kind of backstory, real quick, is I found this interesting because it kind of ties into the movie. When he was really young, his parents took him to a Disney movie called The Living Desert, which mm. I recently watched. It's a documentary about like animals in the desert and it's from 1953 and so that's Uh why at the beginning of the movie one of the characters is like oh yeah they they used to play pictures up here they you know the ranger used to play the living desert oh cool (laughs) so that's a little like throwback to his past um but he used to like work at a radio station and um eventually got into the tv station and then traveled across the country and ended up in calgary and worked with a guy who said that they should make a movie together and yeah they had a friend who had uh some other ideas who ended up being credited for the script doug mcleod yeah and they just found this hotel and decided to make a movie cool yeah (laughs) so he also directed uh the emeritus movie the tower which we've also seen oh cool yeah yeah he doesn't have a lot of like directorial uh stuff I think that uh, other one is all... I think he's done two Emeritus films, Tower and Niagara Strip. Oh, okay, okay. I'll have to watch that last one just to get his third movie. (laughs) Yeah, then you've completed the filmography. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. One other thing I noticed in the credits. uh, Again, a score by Paul Zaza. Yes. Who's like... I don't know. Like the more Canadian movies I see, especially like horror movies, it's always this guy. Yeah. It's always Paul Zaza <laughs> for some reason. I wonder, though, because he he reused music from Prom Night in this movie. And I wonder how many people were like, we love Prom Night. We liked the music. We need you. And then, you know, he was just like, I'll just give you that music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it was really extremely phoned in. I don't know. <laughs> so what what is the most Canadian thing about this movie, though? Because to you, what is to you the most Canadian I, thing? I just think the the vibe is incredibly ca- Canadian. I think the 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 kind of combination of you know this uh, incredibly snowy forest, you know the chalet. It's very away from the city. Everything that they're wearing, all the kind of like snow pants and stuff. Like the one woman is wearing the like the snow pants that come up like overalls like that was my childhood was like wearing those kinds of snow pants (laughs) (laughs) okay and and so living in a smaller ish town you know there was people that would just go out on their snowmobiles and ride around because they had nothing else to do i i really like that um about this movie (laughs) i i kind of wish i grew up that way like lots of snow like i've always loved snow but we would get it like maybe once a year here in Belgium like yeah. it used to be more but it's just yeah the last snow I remember was, must have been like like uh, big snow like uh, up to my knee snow is yeah. like from my childhood so <laughs> kind of miss that sometimes but yeah I wanted to ask what your most Canadian move uh, thing about this movie was because the thing that struck me as the most Canadian in this, this movie is that it has a sort of 
crazy Ralph trope character. Yes. But it is literally the most friendly crazy Ralph <laughs> character <laughs> I've ever seen in a horror movie. Like the store owner at the start yeah, is yeah. just like warning them about whatever's ahead. But he's like super chill about it. He's not like um, being aggressive about it or, or anything. So that to me was the most Canadian thing about this movie. Yeah. And, you know, so that guy in the store was the guy who was talking about that Disney documentary movie, but also the kind of woman that they meet in the hotel who ultimately sort of kickstarts the, you know, murdery kind of, you know, slashery vibe of the movie. She's mm-hmm. also kind of not like scary. Like she kind of comes out and scares them. Yeah. Definitely not at the start. Yeah. And but then it's like, let's have some tea together and I'm going to be creepy. But at the same time, you're like, but you're being kind of hospitable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because at first I was kind of digging that. I'm like, oh, this this lady actually seems nice, even though like the first yeah. impression was like scary. But then, yeah, it just goes a little <laughs> bit back and forth and then she becomes yeah. creepy again toward the end. You can, Like you said, you can really tell that they ran out of money. Mm. Um, what I had written down in terms of details was just... They, they were already shooting and they ran out of money. So Jim had to just start making things up as they shot. And that's kind of partially why not, not only did they run out of money, but like they ran out of money and that meant that they couldn't do things that they wanted to do. And then mm-hmm. he had to come up with the alternatives like right now. <laughs> so that's yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. you know, a little bit why that second half is kind of different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said, a little bit aimless. It, it definitely had its charms for me. I probably yeah. am not inclined to revisit or even recommend, but you know, like people listening to this will always be able to tell based on your opinion, my opinion, what kind of movie it is, and then decide on their own if they will be into that. Yeah, I think I think I will probably revisit it again in the future it's not one that i watch every year but i like i like checking in with it i thought friend of the show justin DeClue wrote a review on letterboxd where he said it was kind of almost the canadian texas chainsaw massacre and i really like that you know it's obviously not as brilliant of a movie but i think in terms of the kind of weird stumbling into a place you're not supposed to be vibe i think it kind of it it checks out a little bit (laughs) so from Ghostkeeper, we move to curtains from 1983. Behind every curtain, someone is waiting. Something is watching. Curtains, the ultimate nightmare. Starts Friday at a theater near you. Starring John Vernon, Samantha Egger, and more. Directed by Richard. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure about the name uh, <laughs> myself. Uh, it's uh, directed by Richard Chupka, maybe. 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 I'm sensing Chupka? like some Romanian heritage there, maybe, um, <laughs> or like Polish. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. Um, this guy is. I don't know if you saw, but he's a Belgian. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was born in uh, Liège, which is like, um, it's a little south of the, I was almost going to say like the Belgian border, but you've you've got like North Belgium and South Belgium. And it's like just um, at the start of of the southern part of Belgium. And it's famous for their waffles, which aren't Brussels waffles, obviously, but they're Liègeois 
waffles and they are better than Brussels waffles, even though yeah. everyone knows Brussels waffles like everywhere. Okay. But these are like <laughs> chunkier and they have more sugar and they smell amazing. They're basically like these big uh, distorted globs of melted caramel. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that aside, I just found it interesting that a Belgian guy directed a Canadian horror movie. I don't know, just like this is a Canadian Belgian co-production. So is Curtains. <laughs> and, and also was a cinematographer on stuff like Atlantic City from 1980. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and had done stuff like around the same time did the cinematography for the TV movie, The Terry Fox Story, which was like a very big kind of, you know, event in Canada uh, mm-hmm. kind of television film. But the synopsis for Curtains is six beautiful girls trying to get ahead. When the curtains fall, five will be dead. And the synopsis is six young actresses auditioning for a movie role at a remote mansion are targeted by a mysterious masked murderer. This was filmed in Muskoka, Ontario, Toronto, Ontario, Caledon, Ontario, a couple other places in Ontario. There was a studio in Toronto um, and it was produced by Simcom Limited and was released theatrically by a couple people. Northstar releasing was the distribution logo on the version I watched. But yeah, this is a movie that, you know, like five, ten years ago was a little bit more obscure than it is now. I feel like, you know, it's the Black Christmas thing we talked about with Paul where, you know, years go by and people start talking about it. But when my brother and I were in early college, Curtains was was you were really digging to get, you know, oh, Curtains, that's that weird Canadian horror movie, you know? Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah, but now it's a bit more, you know, it's there's been releases of it and interviews around it, and it's a bit more of a known movie. I'd seen it once a couple of years ago, so I don't really know, like, the backstory or how it... Um like, is it one of those movies that just skipped DVD and was only available on VHS and then there was like a proper restoration a couple of years ago? I think it might have been around before the most recent release, but mm. I, I'm not 100% sure. But I just know that, you know, it was it was less talked about, you know, five, ten years ago than yeah. now it's one of the like, okay, Canadian slashers, we're talking Black Christmas, we're happy birthday to you, curtains. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had seen this once or twice before the first time i watched it um i thought it was like interesting but maybe a little boring and then the last time i watched it i was really into it kind of on the whole and then when i watched it for today um Mm -hmm. i was a little bit somewhere in between i feel like it depends on what mood i'm in like i mentioned earlier yeah it's presenting itself like a slasher but what it really is is kind of a, a giallo-esque movie but with a lot of melodrama yeah yeah which i like <laughs> there's like a mystery at the heart of it like this whodunit kind of mm-hmm. thing going on which makes it very giallo-esque yeah but yeah apparently the director he was more aiming to make this very art housey i i read it in um yeah an interview you linked earlier i believe then uh producer peter simpson who ended up directing like almost half of the movie yeah uh, I, I feel like he was going more like for basic face value slasher thrills yeah like they they were kind of starting this movie as a adult horror film like it's going to be not a teenage mm-hmm. slasher we want it to be about adults um which is something yeah. that you also see in my bloody valentine the director wanted it like you said to be more of an art house film i think the the 
producer that you mentioned, he explained it as like he wanted to direct it like a still painting. Like he wanted like yeah. <laughs> like whether or not the guy said that the director. But, you know, <laughs> apparently he wanted it to be a bit more, you know, of an art kind of piece and 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 eventually uh, yeah they kind of split the difference <laughs> yeah yeah i mean if the main producer and the director aren't getting along and they have different visions about a movie that's that's yeah. trouble you know and and totally that's also why in the the opening titles you don't see richard kupka or chupka's name as the director it's yeah jonathan striker who is john verner's character so for a minute I was like, oh, this movie's still doing like this meta thing. Is it yeah. like a movie in a movie or, but no, it's just like this little altered credits because yeah. the director didn't want to have anything to do with it anymore, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because the producer, Peter Simpson, when he was talking about how like, okay, Chupka, he did 50% of the movie and I mm -hmm. did like, you know, about half the movie when he's describing doing that, you know, yeah. he's not describing it like an artist. He's like, no, no. No. Yeah, I can't do Spielberg, you know, I know how to run a crew and I don't want to direct. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, he didn't really direct a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah. I, I know he co-directed Prom Night 3 with Ron Oliver. Mm. And, well, Peter Simpson did produce a bunch of, like, Canadian stuff. So those yeah. two guys are, like, pretty notable in Canadian cinema. Yeah. But, yeah, generally, Peter Simpson not a director, so... <laughs> that's that's probably part of why this movie feels so mixed um and also because you know they started making this movie in 1980 mm -hmm. it was they had all these problems with what is this movie going to be while they were making it it was eventually shelved for a year they did reshoots apparently somebody was going to be in the movie and they recast them yeah um and so like yeah three years of troubles before this movie finally sees the light of day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that kind of tells you all you need to know that you probably yeah. shouldn't be expecting like a perfect horror <laughs> nugget. <laughs> yeah, but some people really like it. And I, I think I can understand from the perspective of there's a number of scenes in this movie that I just think are so, so good. Mm -hmm. the, the scene um, that's in the TV trailer uh, where the woman gets out of the car and there's a doll standing in the oh, road. Oh, yeah, that's a really great scene. That scene is so good yeah yeah <laughs> and and then there's the very infamous um ice, ice skating. skating scene which is also really really kind of unnerving in that italian way where it's slow motion and it's almost campy in the mm -hmm. way that it's slow motion but it's yeah no i agree there's definitely stuff about this movie that i like that's why when we decided to cover this movie i was like okay i, I can rewatch curtains i remember not mm -hmm. being nuts about it but there was definitely enough cool stuff like i think it's shot pretty well like the production values yeah. are you know it's like a minimal slasher giallo-esque movie but there's some really creepy cool touches like like you said with the doll and and also this creepy mask that they end up using yeah. later as well like i'm just gonna call it the naked grandma mask yeah <laughs> um yeah that's cool stuff but also despite that cool stuff it, it all feels like setup that doesn't really pay off in a very satisfying way almost yeah like an italian horror movie like there's a lot of stuff in there that doesn't make sense and doesn't have any consequences it's just you have to look at it on its own like these little creepy vignettes yeah even the doll like <laughs> the doll's just kind of there mm -hmm, yeah and it ends up being just a dream sequence um and that's all the rest of the doll but on its own cool but there's there's absolutely no payoff for that 
decide that like yeah. once that dream sequence ends it's over there's no more doll in this movie <laughs> <laughs> even though the cover kind of makes you think yeah that's the part of it but it's so inconsequential really <laughs> yeah and i i feel like it's one of those movies where if you are feeling the vibe you know you're gonna be you might be down for it because i do think that there's a lot of people that kind of latch on to this idea that it's about these six women who are auditioning for a role and john vernon is going to be the director and he's kind of like leaning in on them in these sort of psychological ways he's being terrible he's being a real real weinstein motherfucker up in there I, I think there's some interesting stuff with that angle. And I think there's like also melodramatic cattiness between the women that mm -hmm. I think people can, can also latch on to in the way that there there's a lot of very entertaining sort of drama going on between the women. And yeah. then you have this awful guy and it, and it has this kind of interesting thing going on. But when I w watched it last night, you know, I wasn't super in the mood for that kind of movie. So it wasn't landing for me, but I do know that the last time I watched it before it, I was kind of super involved in all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Depends on you, I guess. <laughs> I also read that apparently John Vernon's character was patterned after Klaus Kinski. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I can sort of see that, but I also sort of have trouble seeing that because it, it's kind of all casting John Vernon because he does <laughs> not look like Klaus Kinski no. whatsoever. No. But he does that, you know, pompous asshole director stick very yeah, very well that's yeah. just the john vernon thing that he knows how to do totally so. and and he's he's very sleazy and gross in this movie but klaus kinski sleazy gross is a very different it's, it's true it's true like john vernon almost have has something a little yeah he has a little bit more charisma to him i feel in a way um even when he's being like this terrible terrible guy in this movie yeah it's well, just it's just the way he sells it. It's 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 a great performance and yeah, yeah I don't know his voice as well. I, I I like the way he uses his voice. It's very it can be very demanding. Whereas Klaus Kinski is a little bit more like slithery, snaky, creepy guy. <laughs> just <laughs> crawl space uh, flashbacks. Yeah, I was gonna say John Vernon couldn't do that. No crawl no. space role <laughs> no he did his own version of of a close kinski type of yeah asshole and yeah he does a good job in this movie no yeah doubt. and you're you're right about his voice i i he has one of those very like iconic voices and 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 cadence you know i just nobody else could have said killer clowns from outer space holy shit like yeah, oh you God. know he he Killer just has clowns. a way of nailing the right line in the right way despite that that's not my favorite performance in this movie lynn griffin who plays mm -hmm. patty i believe in this movie she does a comedy stand-up routine uh shot at yuck yucks in toronto yeah actually did wrote that and went and performed it yeah that's yeah. so cool and and she does a good job like there's uh, she has a lot of like natural comedic charisma to her in this movie and uh, that really elevated it for me i thought she was really 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 good in this movie and and i also really like the part where she's doing like basically it's kind of a misdirect like one of the girls is peeping into a room where she's basically doing this hand puppet theater with <laughs> like a mcgruff type dog doll and a snake i think <laughs> and uh then then the girl opens the door and she's performing it for one of the other girls and they're all like rivals and like what, what's this weird scene going on here but it yeah it, it's stuff like that that add a lot of character to it and just her in general 
I felt is definitely one of the strongest points in this movie. Definitely. Yeah, I really like that. And I, I thought that the kind of the stand up thing was a cool little, you know, like it was fun that that was real. <laughs> yeah, you don't expect that in, 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 in a horror movie in the way they did it here it's it's it feels pretty like natural and genuine i'm like oh what's this i had completely forgotten about it as well like i'd seen the movie before like not 10 years ago like it must have been like maybe last year or the year before but i i forgot about that stuff i forgot about the twist in this movie as well because i was watching i'm like i've seen this before but what was the twist again i know there's a twist but fuck it can't it couldn't remember it and then yeah. it starts unfolding and then i'm like oh yeah right 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 and they were gonna do a different ending too from what i read was they they were gonna have her doing stand-up and it like pans out and everybody's dead body you know is like her crowd and i kind of thought that would be amazing <laughs> yeah 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 that, that would have been cool like what they do in the movie end up doing in the movie is pretty cool as well but yeah i've, I've read about that alternate ending that's that's pretty cool as well yeah. yeah she's great and griffin she was in black christmas as well so yeah yeah and yeah. also on strange brew yeah so it was shot as i mentioned in muskoka and toronto really troubled production i think that this is a both of these movies had troubled production both of them i think kind of show that you can look at both movies and say two different things were trying to go on here and both projects ended up as they ended up but you know you can kind of tell <laughs> yeah, a little yeah. bit. You can kind of tell, but they still retain enough charm, both of them yeah. in their own way. It's just weird the way this, this, this movie as well as like the pacing of Ghostkeeper because it's been a, it, it was a troubled production, but here yeah. in the curtains as well, it starts going into the final act and suddenly it's like the movie realized it's been wasting too much time and they basically start killing everyone that's left. Mm-hmm. In like quick succession and it's like it's it's a real whiplash like whoa what's going on is, is everyone just gonna get it now and and then change of pace it's yeah. really really odd in this movie <laughs> you know it's helped by the cast it's helped by it being kind of an ensemble piece yeah it's never been one of my kind of like top favorites of of canadian horror movies but yeah it has its fans so it won't ever be a favorite of mine as well but i do think it's worth checking out yeah, yeah. And and it I looked it up, it did have its first release in twenty fourteen. Oh, okay. And that was DVD, Blu-ray, probably Blu-ray, right? It was the DVD and Blu-ray by Synapse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's like that's even almost later than I would have thought because yeah, in my head, like I'm thinking it was never like a lost movie, you know. It wasn't one of those like, no, you can't find it. But <laughs> yeah, it just definitely wasn't, you know, it it hadn't got the word of mouth yet. One thing I did like about this movie, and it's the thing that reminded me of this other movie. Have you ever seen Shock Corridor? Um, the Samuel Fuller, Sam, right? Sam Fuller movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I actually haven't. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's a really good movie as well. But yeah, in, in the setup of Curtains, Samantha Eggers' character, uh, she commits herself to an institution to like prepare for a role, basically. And in Shock Carter as well, the main character commits himself in an institution in order to like, he's a journalist, but it's to investigate a murder. And the end goal is winning like a Pulitzer Prize with this investigation, like finding out who the murderer was and getting like an insight into like uh, the people who are in the institution and everything. But it's, it's a really cool movie. And it does obviously way more with that whole like committing yourself, even though you don't need to be there but maybe you do eventually i don't know so both these movies you know a little uneven 
but they, you know, have their charms. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And if I have to say check one of these out, I'd say curtains myself, but you probably... <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to say check out Ghostkeeper because I, I want to push that movie a little bit, but okay, they're both yeah. worth checking out. I don't think either of them would be, you know, 100% canon. Mm -hmm. I think they're both movies that you should check out when you're more interested. I wouldn't I wouldn't point people to these, you know, to start. No, no, not to start. But that's that's, you know, part of what we do, what we're doing here. We're trying to shine a light on movies that are a little less known. I mean, we could have done Black Christmas, <laughs> which is the obvious pick, but it almost feels too, too obvious, even though I definitely do want to cover Black Christmas at one point because it's like one of the best. Uh, I mean, no one's going to debate that. We will get around to it, but just not yet. <laughs> Yeah, and it's also like we have to figure out like what's the right way to tackle a movie that has been talked about a million times, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like I was talking about there's a new Black Christmas movie coming out or it's like out any day, but by the time I will be able to see that in Belgium, I don't think it even has a theatrical release over here if it'll even get one. So I was thinking, oh, that would be a cool pairing for Christmas. But yeah, that just wasn't going to happen for reasons i just explained yeah maybe we wait and see if if that comes to you know for you to be able to see it and then we talk about it then yeah yeah it, i mean it doesn't have to be christmas i mean black christmas the original is a good movie no matter when you put it on and yeah who knows it might be like available to me in a month and it might be snowing then still and i mean it's still winter season then so that's that's good enough totally okay so that's our episode if you want to find us you can go to back-road.com check out all the stuff there uh we are back row cine blog on facebook and twitter and instagram carlo where are you um twitter letterbox the usual places carlo goes boom Yes, and you can find me on letterboxd at YCKMD underscore, or you can find us in the Chud Buddies Discord. Go to chudbuddies.club and check that out. Streaming some good movies or <laughs> not so good movies yeah. every week, so <laughs> you can join that community. It's, it's a lot of fun, a lot of like really laid back, um, tolerant people. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, and uh, otherwise, our blood is dripping like maple syrup, man. <laughs> <laughs> the kindergarten artists. <laughs>